0: Welcome to Forever LDS. This is Chris Heimerdinger. Today is a rather special episode. The first of many that will give voice to my only novel that has never been recorded on audiobook, Muck Whip's Guide to Capturing the Latter-day Soul, subtitle, The Inside Scoop for Teens, Missionaries, and Families on Avoiding the Pits and Snares of the Enemy. First, sort of a pre-intro. The book itself gives a more formal intro. Let me just say, if if you have no idea what to expect from this book, the concept is simple. It's reverse psychology. A senior devil instructing an underling devil how to destroy members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Not a wholly unique idea. My formal intro mentions a couple other epistolary works. That's just a fancy word, meaning a story told through letters or some other kind of correspondence. One work that I failed to mention is a novelette by Elder Neil A. Maxwell, The Enoch Letters. His is a collection of letters from a fictional inhabitant of the city of Enoch to a friend living outside the city, trying to convince him to move in before it's too late. That is before the city is translated, taken up into heaven. I haven't read it, sounds cool. A bit lighter than letters from a head devil to a subordinate devil. Elder Nelson's concept would intimidate me terribly. Better leave that one to an apostle. It's fair to say I think I understand more about devils than angels. Still, please do not think that I am trying to accurately portray what it's like to dwell wherever or under whatever circumstances the adversary and his minions dwell. I have no idea. Can't even conceive it. This book is purely symbolic, a product of imagination. Some, mostly publishers, publishers who heard my pitch but then never read it, feared that readers wouldn't be able to separate the fiction from the reality. As members of the restored church, we just know too much. Whereas somebody like C.S. Lewis, well, he wasn't a member, just a Protestant theologian, so he could get away with it. Besides, he was C.S. Lewis. Who are you again? I don't know. Maybe they were right. Maybe some readers can't make the separation, the disconnect, the suspended disbelief. I'll ju- I'll just say this. Unlike the screw tape letters, which is more or less... A collection of essays, Muck Whip's Guide is a real story with characters, plot development, a climax and ending the whole nine yards. I, I hope it's also funnier, more entertaining. Is it equally profound? I don't have the vaguest idea. C.S. Lewis is one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the modern era. That's a pretty high bar. He famously said that writing the screw tape letters was no fun and that he had no intention to write a follow-up, although he did. Twenty years later, a short satirical essay called Screwtape Proposes a Toast, which is usually put at the beginning or the end of uh, any new printings of the Screwtape letters. Anyway, obviously there must be something wrong with me because I did have fun writing this book. I don't know what that says about me. Whatever it says probably isn't good. Maybe Lewis was right not to intertwine the same level of humor and farce in such a serious concept. Oh, well, I'm not Lewis, and he's not me. Judge for yourself if I took it too far or not far enough. Only 7,500 copies of this book were printed, virtually all of them sold through Costco. Larger LDS outlets carried it for a while. Just before it was released, I recall buying a quarter-page ad in one of their mailers. Afterwards, they ordered so few copies for all of their stores that even if they'd sold every one, we wouldn't have even recuperated the cost of that single ad. Ah, That's life in the tropics, as my mother used to say. She grew up in Peru i promise if you become a writer you'll gather many similar stories all water under the bridge my biggest regret was that i never got around to making muckwhips guide into an audiobook it would have been so fun and, and probably easier to follow and digest than reading it in print i knew muckwhips personality would be a riot so conniving so twisted a narrator's dream but It never happened, just as well. I probably didn't have the experience or the equipment to do it properly back then anyway. Not sure I'll do it properly now, but I'll give it a go. Today, I will read the opening material from the book itself, and then the first couple chapters, that is, the first two H-mails. After that, expect a chapter or two H-mail or two every couple weeks in between more traditional episodes on Forever LDS. That's the plan, anyway. So, let's get into it. Muck Whip's Guide for Capturing the Latter-day Soul, the inside scoop for teens, missionaries, and families on avoiding the pits and snares of the enemy, by Chris Eimerdinger. The book begins with the following quote. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. C.S. Lewis. How it came about, more or less. Odd, the things one can find when spending too much time on the computer. More than a decade ago, as I was attempting to research an answer to a particularly profound and vexing question put to me by a dedicated fan of my novels, I think it was as to whether Mr. Spock would be more appropriately called Brother Spock if the planet Vulcan converted to the Gospel when my internet connection unexpectedly shut down. As usual, the timing was quite bad. I'd delved into the web so deep that I felt sure I was on the brink of unearthing secrets heretofore unknown in the temporal universe. Suddenly, whammo, Bill Gates' exasperating acebral infrastructure... Uh, windows, turned against me, only this time I didn't maintain my usual cool and composed demeanor. I uttered a mild expletive. I think it was pickle chips. Whacked the monitor and slammed my fist on the keyboard. It was then that I discovered my connection hadn't been entirely severed. Well, perhaps my normal connection had been snipped. But somehow... I had tapped into another kind of connection, another dimension of the World Wide Web. What appeared on my screen is the correspondence that follows. I promptly saved the material to disk, after which my computer utterly fried, sparks exploded from the tower, the screen darkened and my house lights flickered. Sadly, I lost the text of my entire Next Tennis Shoes book, which certainly explains any untimely delays. But somehow I'd managed to extract this lone file. I have therefore determined to reproduce the material here exactly as it first appeared, with the exception of a few spelling corrections. Devils just can't seem to accurately spell words like celestial eternal. The letters are always intermixed with exclamation points, dashes, and pound signs so that it looks more like a curse word. I can't be certain if what I've discovered is evidence that hell communicates via emails, or rather h-mails, or if what I've tapped into is some sort of diabolical archive. I can't even say if this archive is complete. I have no idea of the identity of the living mortals referenced in the text, although I sense I may have met them a thousand times, or seen them in the mirror. Finally, I'm no closer now to solving the mystery of how my computer was able to generate it. I really must purchase a better filtering service. For a more sober, stuffy, clinical, and only marginally more logical explanation, read the author's foreword. But only if you have a tendency to take things way too literally and are the type who never wearies of watching paint dry. CH. Authors Forward. This book was a long time in coming, 13 years to be exact. The first draft was finished in the year 2000. This latest manuscript is really only a brush up and slight retooling of that original version. I didn't publish it at the time because the concept seemed to cause my publishers serious conniptions. Say that again, Chris, a book where devils are the main characters, a story told entirely from a devil's point of view. The pallor on their faces was eminently apparent, despite the foreknowledge of other famous works that have explored similar themes. Some of these books and plays have existed for decades, even centuries, penned by such masters as Christopher Marlowe, John Milton, Johann van Goethe, and C.S. Lewis. The object of such manuscripts was never to publicize or promote devilry. Instead, They were meticulous efforts to educate us on the workings of the diabolical mind. To expose tactics that the adversary might employ to tempt and destroy us. Thirteen years ago, my publisher felt the LDS people were not ready for such a book. After all, who understands better than Latter-day Saints the reality of such evil and its persistent influences? Even today, whenever this subject is reluctantly discussed, we are well advised to treat it delicately and with a healthy respect. The best-known book with a similar theme is, without a doubt, C.S. Lewis's 1942 classic, The Screwtape Letters. Unfortunately, I must admit that I've, I've never read this volume. You know what, I have to update this from when I originally wrote this book and published it several years ago. I have gone through a version of it that was narrated by John Cleese, Um, so I can't really claim full ignorance of what his volume is. But at the time I published this, I had never read it. One might think I avoided it so as not to duplicate specific motifs from Lewis's hellish universe. The truth is that I first encountered the book when I was very young, high school, junior high, and it simply could not hold my attention. Since that time, I've read other books and articles by C.S. Lewis, and I can proudly call him one of my literary heroes. Still, I never worked my way back around to a consumption of screw tape. Maybe now that my book is complete, I'll try again, or maybe not. Perhaps only if my ego needs a good drubbing, or I'm overcome by some masochistic need to feel put in my place as an intellectual and creative inferior. On most days, such a need does not occur Thus, any similarities between Screwtape and Muckwhip are unintentional and coincidental. Muckwhip is neither a sequel nor a prequel. It must stand on its own. The original impetus for writing these H-mails was my conviction that as a Latter-day Saint, the fullness of the restored gospel might offer me insights of unique importance. A silly presumption, I know, but I couldn't stop myself. I'm entirely cognizant of the challenge and audacity of thinking my little book can compare with other masterpieces. My hope is that such works can simply coexist. For readers sitting so low in elevation that the point of this book flies over their heads, let me state succinctly that it is fictional. There's nothing funny or entertaining about real demons. I won't even use that term. I much prefer devil and all the stereotypical images it conjures. Muckwhip is a fictional devil. No, he's not a creature with horns and a pronged tail. He's more like a cog or widget in a vast and dizzying corporate morass. Everything in this book is symbolic and metaphorical. Instead of Milton's fiery pit, I envisioned hell as a sort of Dog-eat-dog totalitarian bureaucracy, its occupants forever consumed by self-importance and personal advancement, gleefully eager to see discredit, demotion, and punishment fall upon even their closest colleagues. Yet on the surface, everything is quite cordial, with frequent expressions of endearment and sugar-coated tributes to a job well done. Muckwhip is the epitome of such phoniness, witty, sagacious, and charmingly pompous. But make no mistake, beneath the crust, he is lethally vicious and always self-serving. Muckwhip's current rank is viceroy of vice. His assignment is to oversee the myriad of tempters Assigned to destroy members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. In his H mails, Muckwhip carefully mentors a neophyte imp named Frognot of corrupting individual targets. In Frognot's case, his target is a young man named Stuart Hansen. One bit of symbolism that seemed apropos was the idea that hell's objective in capturing souls is to provide livestock who will eventually become food. A devil's appetite can also be gratified by consuming other devils. This notion seemed relevant. After all, what is a devil if not a being whose unquenchable yearning is to draw all weaker beings inside itself? The point of this book is not to encourage anyone to dwell upon the dreary realities of hell, and I hope that no one approaches me to ask if this is what I really believe hell is like. My intent is to explore a few of our most conspicuous vulnerabilities in a way that is often lighthearted, sometimes deadly serious. Unfortunately, many of the weaknesses and foibles that I discussed I relate to only too well. Therefore, the reverse psychology is likely directed right back at me. I hope others may also relate. In reading these H-mails, always remember that a devil is a liar. Nothing Muckwhip says should be assumed to be true, even from his own point of view. Whatever Muckwhip welcomes, we ought to dread Readers should view these H-mails as if they have just obtained the opposing team's playbook or the secret correspondence of an enemy spy. The purpose of this book is not to learn about devils, but that perhaps, through the eyes of a devil named Muckwhip, we might learn a thing or two about ourselves. Chris Heimerdinger. h mail one from muckwhip at way down below dot h e l to uh, frognot at way below dot h e l subject <coughs> welcome my dear frognot well Done, my brightest and most promising apprentice. It is with deepest pride that I congratulate you upon your current assignment. Welcome to the team. As you've likely heard, I've had my eye on you for quite some time. Such raw talent, such promise. If only all my recruits from the Institute of Advanced Temptation showed as much potential for exquisite old-fashioned nastiness as you. Honestly, the overall quality of hirelings that old headmaster Foggoblin has dropped into my lap of late has been... Despicable. I usually end up shipping them off for a refresher course in one of our more brutal re education camps, or else serving them as a side dish, all a mode, at one of our annual banquets. But <laughs> don't, don't let this intimidate you. I'm, I'm sure that you, my newest son, are a cut above the average fiend. In fact, I saw to it that you were drafted into my department because I knew with that, that you would never, ever, in your wildest nightmares, ever think of letting me down. Not you, my dear friend, you, Frognaut. As I've oft told my friends and associates here in the lower realms, are the apple of my eye unlike other apprentices, whom I now confess I never saw as anything more than the apple on my plate. As you are no doubt aware from all the pamphlets I overnighted to your P.O. box, the success of our operation is of the highest priority to our infernal father. Yes, I I realize he's only our stepfather, but we nevertheless pay him the highest homage, fully aware of the consequences if we do not. I've tried my darndest to uppercase the I and F in his title, but can't seem to convince my word-processing program to comply. The same difficulty emerges whenever I attempt to lowercase the names or titles of the opposition, arch-enemy or his first-born son, no matter how assiduously I try to make these names lowercase, my spell-checker simply will not cooperate. It's frustrating. You, uh, you can be sure the critical nature of our mission is why they gave me charge of the whole devil-awful department some years back. The two previous heads became, of necessity, headless as a result of their mournful failures. I inherited an ugly situation indeed. It's taken every ounce of my prowess as a tempter first class. To steer things back onto a proper course, a 180-degree turnaround, is now imminent. Still... I am always in need of gifted junior tempters like yourself to drive the final nails into the organization's coffin. Yes, that's what we call it in these precincts, the organization. In your correspondence, you must never refer to it as anything else. I've always rather liked that word, relating as closely as it does to words like organism or organ, an instrument whose creepy chords I loathe with every fiber of my being. You most certainly will never refer to it as anything even remotely like its official title, the Church of something, something of latter-day whatever, if you must call it anything, please employ the standby term Mormons. We've successfully propagandized most of humanity into applying that term, preferably with a sneer. Thus, continue standard usage of that name, thus, obscuring any association it might have with our arch enemy. My predecessor, through sheer stupidity, briefly forgot the value of this label. He allowed some individuals in educated circles to stop employing it, including help us the mainstream media. These people are traditionally our most enduring allies in promoting this moniker. Not to worry, I am confident that I will reignite old habits." The term Mormon will, if I have my way, once again dominate all other appellations. Nevertheless, as far as you and I are concerned, I much prefer the sterile term organization. Not only for the sake of a certain kind of poetics, but because it continually reminds us that our principal objective is to turn the whole confounded thing into something more accurately described as the dis-organization. I was somewhat alarmed, not when my secret informers told me that you shuddered and paled after opening your assignment envelope, learning that you would be joining this department. I hope this has nothing to do with all those unhelpful rumors so commonly repeated at the Institute. You know, the ones I mean. Those who describe this as the most formidable and distasteful department in all of the community of contention. Such rumors generally adopt one of two angles. Either they speak of vast concourses of devils tormented, wounded, bruised, and battle-worn from incessant confrontations with the opposition, or that it teems with tempters who loll about, twiddling their thumbs, helpless, suffocated, and nearly self-combusting out of sheer boredom as they are prevented from mounting effective attacks. Kindly... Put both notions in the boondocks of your imagination. Though I confess our work is at times challenging, it's not nearly as burdensome as some have whispered. If all facts were properly publicized, this would assuredly be the most coveted assignment in all the lower realms. There is no commission you might have received whose rewards are more delightful or whose feasts of souls are more satisfying nothing i repeat nothing goes down more smoothly than a well-seasoned mormon but surely you already knew this i will therefore conclude frognot that your shutter of frame and blanch of hue were inspired Not because of unfortunate rumors, but because you learned that you would soon be working for me. In which case, I am duly flattered. I anticipate your arrival ASAP. Target 120-16A-44M is in dire need of your attentions. Your supreme superintendent, Muck Whip. Part one. Against youth. H mail two from Muck Whip at way down Below dot h e l, to Frognot at waydownbelow dot H-E-L. Subject. "'You made it! My dear Frognot, just a note to express my rapturous pleasure at how well you are adjusting to your duties. "'I realize it's not quite the position you may have anticipated, certainly nothing so important as to merit an increase in benefits or privileges.' Uh, Still, it does qualify you for enrollment in our department's dental plan. This should come in quite handy as soon as our inevitable victory is declared and we finally receive a body of flesh and bone, along with a full magazine of teeth. In the meantime, rest assured that you are fully covered. Even if your first target, 17-year-old Mr. Stuart Hansen, has every appearance of becoming an easy candidate for consumption, do not allow yourself to wax (laughs) overconfident. He certainly appears typical of so many young males. Tall, dark-eyed, cocky, ambitious, terrified of females, and infinitely curious about every worldly and forbidden thing. We are aggrieved that he still maintains any kind of association with the organization, albeit mm, such connections deteriorate almost daily, as I'm sure you've already realized he hails from a wonderfully dysfunctional family. His father hasn't darkened the chapel door for eight happy years thanks to Sputkurs, the fiend currently assigned to precipitate Daddy's downfall. The primary issue that led to his father's antipathy toward the organization is actually quite, quite amusing. Sputkurs deftly took advantage of a doctrinal dispute that took place in one of their so-called priesthood meetings. It regarded whether or not a stalwart saint should view sporting events on Sunday. The fireworks were spangled and lovely. We successfully planted an offense in the minds of virtually every contributor in the room. By the time the incident was, for the most part, forgotten, Sputkurs had nimbly persuaded the father to concoct a dozen other rationales for not attending We fully expect your target to reap copious benefits from his dad's example. His mother, unfortunately, remains stubbornly active in the organization. However, her influence has been largely neutralized since her hold over the boy is predicated heavily upon besieging him with guilt. We've urged her to incorporate some delightful methods for making her son feel keenly inferior for his shortcomings. Thus, the boy is developing a natural sense of repugnance for everything that his mother holds dear. What makes us most uneasy is your target's persistent attendance at Sunday services, and particularly his midweek youth activities expend every effort to promptly countermand such practices. I'll have Sputker assist you by smuggling into his father's thoughts additional weekend plans for father, son, hunting and fishing, excursions, etc. Even if your boy presently attends church only to please his mum, that continual, weekly reminder of organizational principles could eventually inadvertently become etched onto his psyche. Oh, he might perceive as irrelevant all that tripe about life and salvation now, but patterns may still formulate in the back of his noodle, cropping up in later life, and encouraging him to seek some kind of spiritual renaissance. This must be repressed at all cost, The earlier we can conclusively sever his ties to the organization, the better and the less likely it will be that any unseemly nugget of so-called wisdom from some fireside sermon or random lyric from a primary ditty can become entrenched in his subconscious. As I'm sure was beaten into your brain during your first semester at the Institute, our best opportunity for capturing souls is ever and always will be when a target is a teenager. If your experience was anything like mine, they pummeled you with this precept to near delirium every hour of the day. Such happy memories. I must blot it to you. Now is the ideal time to ingrain in your polywog all of the twisted habits, attitudes, and opinions that will ensure his eventual extermination. If you exercise due diligence, these vices will enslave him well into his days of octogenarian oblivion. For example, if you wait until your target is in his late, Twenties before tempting him with provocative images, narcotics, or self-abuse. You might never arrive at square one. Ensnare him while he's young, my wily apprentice. Repeat this directive on a daily basis. We must fasten such bindings while he still regards himself as invincible, indestructible, (laughs) and perceives that he has oodles of time to untangle all of our tethers and snarls. At this age, he is like wet clay. If we remain persistent, and we always do, we can transform him in later years into whatever breed of debauched creature we desire. I should warn you, however, we are not the only ones who understand... The critical nature of a subject's adolescent years. The arch-enemy knows it, too. He wants your target almost as much as we do. Certainly not more. He couldn't possibly want them more. Why does he want them? We're still not sure. Since he doesn't eat them, it it makes no sense. All that nonsense about bringing to pass their immortality and eternal life... For his own joy and glory is a load of indigestible dung. It just doesn't compute what's in it for him. We've tried since time immemorial to discover his true intentions, deploying our most sophisticated accountants and actuaries, but to no avail. Analysis remains ongoing. In any case, be watchful. Of every seemingly insignificant artifice that the opposition might employ, as we've all learned from sad experience, it's often when targets are teenagers that the arch-enemy drafts his most dynamic recruits That' Smith Scalawag from the nineteenth century being the most wretched example. Oh, what a terrible loss to have allowed that one to slip through our fingers. I was assisting in another department at the time, or I'm sure the whole fiasco would have been nipped in the bud far more effectively. The incompetent fiends in charge of him were convinced, despite repeated warnings from the central office, that the opposition would wait until Joe was much older. ...and had made his mark on the world, perhaps as a famous politician or popular itinerant preacher. Oh, what wretched idiocy! The opposition struck when the boy was a mere whelp. Fourteen years old, any imbecile should have realized... ...that the arch-enemy would strike while the poliwog was still young and pliable. This allowed him to raise the lad to do things his way... Instead of the world's way or in other words our way So as strange as it seems the objectives of heaven and hell are Surprisingly identical we're both in the business of owning souls We just happen to be a bit more honest and forthright about it. We want to devour the little varmints So beware, Frognot, of all the tricks and schemes of the opposition to secure the devotions of youth. And by all means, remind your comrade, Trumpitch, to do all he can to silence his mother's ranting prayers in her son's behalf. If you read last week's newsletter, you'll remember that I gave these same instructions to each and every tempter in my department. Stop those infernal prayers in behalf of the youth of the church. If I do not see a steady decline in such utterances immediately, I will be forced to reduce feast rations and require triple shifts on Halloween. Your affable anchorman... Muckwhip Okay The end I mean give, give me a second to shake off that character I hope you enjoyed the beginning Of the presentation of this audiobook. Thank you For joining me today On Forever LDS If you don't feel as close to the Lord Today as you did yesterday Who moved May all of our Heavenly Father's blessings be upon you and upon your families. Until next time, this is Chris Heimerdinger, and this is Forever LDS.